This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. All right, we got a great show planned for you. Thank you so much for coming. Um, first time live since the pandemic. The last event that we canceled was a live podcast, so I'm so excited to get everybody out and uh, enjoy the food. Again, thank you to Novo Brazil Brewing for having us tonight. All right, I am going to introduce my co-host for the night. He's the managing editor of investigations at Voice of San Diego. He hosts a podcast called Rock Docs, too. Thank you, a little plug for you. It's Andrew Keats. Hey, Andy, how you doing? Trees, huh? Trees? You said I could. I did say you could. I, I, I like it only as a test of your ability to, to force a narrative on this city. Because <laughs> we're having a, a pretty clean experiment here. If you can force this into an actual conversation, you'll have accomplished something. What if, if not, I then I will have something over you forever. That's true. That's yeah. true. Uh, on the way down, Andy was with his computer trying to figure out this was a mathematically, it broke both of our brains. <laughs> in the City Council District 2, in San Diego City Council District 2, Jen Campbell is, is going to get on to the, to the runoff. The question is who goes with her, right? So it looks like it's Linda Lucas, the uh, Republican, but we just wanted to make sure there was some distance between her and the number three candidate, right? Lori Saldana. But our brains were broke because... Lori Saldana got more of the vote than she had before, but there was more distance between her and Lucas, right? Yeah, so the, the vote gap between them grew, right? but the, their share of the vote narrowed right. simultaneously, which it is possible, and in fact, it's not actually that complicated, but no. for a moment there... It was awfully, so he, awfully confusing. He, he closed his laptop and he set it aside. He says, I'm going to puke. <laughs> I said, don't puke in my car, please. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. She is the managing editor for Daily News at Voice San Diego. She is 
intent on owning every single mini schnauzer in the world. She is Lopez, Andrea Lopez Villafaña, welcome. Now, I, I joke, but if you are walking in public with this person, Lopez, and you see a mini schnauzer, her face melts. Why? They're so cute. They're like the cutest thing on this earth. I have two. Uh-huh. But if I had my way, I'd have them all. All right. We are excited to bring up a couple special guests. So first off, she is a lifelong resident of Southwest Chula Vista, and now she represents that part of the city on the city council. She's Chula Vista City Council member, Andrea Cardenas. Welcome. So you uh, went today to the graduation of your niece. I did. From eighth grade. Yes. It's as exciting as you can imagine an eighth grade graduation to be. Well, thank you for coming. He's the host of the Emo Brown podcast. They recently had a really famous guest on. They uh, had a great conversation about local news and politics and media. He is the owner of Three Punk Ales Brewing in Chula Vista. He's Steve Garcia. Hello? Hi. Is it okay, like, being in a different brewery, or do you, like, are you kind of mad? I feel like Slugworth at uh, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, and I'm taking notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> collecting data. Yeah. Don't get stuck in any of the machines, okay? <laughs> Please. Welcome, Steve. Thank, Thank you for you. having me. All right. So we just checked the numbers, everybody, for the uh, election, and I don't think it's, it's quite far enough to call the Chula Vista mayor's race as far as who goes to the runoff, is it? Uh, Mark Hennepin-Najar's got a pretty good lead. What is it at? A couple thousand or something? Uh, 500 and 500, yeah. So it's not not enough. But, um, and then Jill Galvez. It's uh, grown to uh, 600. 600 600 now, okay. Uh, Jill Galvez still hanging on. What happened, do we think? Who wants to start? Uh, Andrea, you you covered. I'm sorry, I'm going to go with Lopez here. (laughs) Lopez and Andrea. So we'll start here. Let's, you're on the city council. You worked with John McCann. You just recently uh, endorsed Amar Kampanajar. Um, so that's your take. What happened with this election? Why John McCann? Why not Zanita? Why not uh, um, you know uh, Rudy? Everybody. Well, I think um, anybody that's worked in you know any type of election in South County, you know that our our, our voters are people who will vote if they trust the people that are on the ballot, if they know the people on the ballot, and if they feel that the people on the ballot are the people that are going to represent them. And although, in theory, every, every electorate should vote that way, we were actually just talking about this, that in Chula Vista we have this very... We really like holding on to the tight-knit community that we are. And so on the council, I am working with both um, Councilmember McCann and, and Councilmember uh, Galvez, and... Um, it's been a very interesting kind of development, seeing just how this race has looked. Um, and yes, I put I put my name in the ring for for Amar. Um, you know, I think he. I told him early on. I said, "This is a hard sell for me, <laughs> but 
but if, prove yourself. I need to know that you care about the city that I care about, the, about the people that I care about, um, and that you're going to do everything you can to represent every Chula Vista and not just yourself, right? Which is very, very typical of elected officials. And so he, he did. He, I mean, he, he really worked. You know, he went and he was talking to small business owners. He was talking to residents. He developed uh, a lot of young leaders within his campaign, which to me, that's just really important. And, um, and I think that seeing that made me feel very comfortable in, in that endorsement. And, you know, originally I was going to stay out of, out of the whole race. Um, but I did think it was important, and especially, you know, we started seeing a lot of negative attacks on a lot of sides, and I, it, it, there's nothing that bothers me more than that. Yeah. So, Steve, um, you had a lot of the candidates come by. You're kind of a big deal now. I don't know if you've heard. I've heard. Yeah. So you, you've had a lot of the candidates and, the, and politicians stop by the shop. Did you end up picking a side? I didn't. I played it coy. I, I mean, I don't think it's responsible to throw my name behind somebody until I know exactly how it's going to play out. But I think this played out exactly the way it was going to. John McCann was always going to be the first, one of the people advanced in the primaries, and it was going to be everybody else that was going to have a, a dogfight amongst the five remaining. And I, Jill Galvez and Namar, I think, were the top two that were going to make it, and it's playing out the way it's going to. So... Across the state, there's a lot of conversation about public safety, crime, homelessness. The cops ended up endorsing John McCann. But you said from the beginning, it seemed like he had a chance. Do you think the cops thing made a big difference? I know a couple of the, the lieutenants there and just kind of some of their insight. They, they know what they're doing. You know, sometimes you have to go with the safe bet. Sometimes you have to yeah. back the one that they know is going to advance. Amar is not the safe bet. Amar is a wild card. Amar has done a lot of things in East County that are not really representative of somebody who is from Chula Vista. You know, like all of a sudden now his flag is put in Chula Vista. But along the way, he, he made some valid points. I had an interesting uh, point of view where I did have all of the uh, candidates come up and be a guest on the podcast. So I use it kind of like as, as a selfish personal data gathering, 45-minute interview where it's like, because I, I legit, my, my wife and I, we were... Undecided. We haven't really been involved in politics too much until the shutdown and, 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 and the uh, COVID lockdowns uh, affected schools, affected our businesses, affected any. And then we really started paying attention. And there's no better politic to get involved with than local politics. Yeah. And that's where it gets really dirty. Can we hear it for local politics? Jesus Real Christ. <laughs> it's, you feel it. You see the difference. You can get involved. You can learn about it especially when you have a great podcast like Voice San Diego Podcast <laughs> and Emo Brown. Appreciate right? it. There we go. Uh, Lopez, so you uh, spent some time here reporting, talking to people. Uh, any takeaways that you are, are running with about the election right now and, and Amar? And you mentioned nobody seemed to know who Zanita was. Yeah, um, I mean, I was talking to Andy and, you know, we were thinking, like, who's going to move forward? And I was like, I don't know. Like, everyone who I'm talking to, has different reasons for supporting different candidates. But every time I brought up Zanita, people would say, I don't know who she is, or ah, I still got to do more research on her, you know. So I was pretty certain that she wasn't going to move, you know, forward. But um, I guess I, I was surprised. I thought Amar would get more votes than John, um, just from what I was hearing from the community. Yeah. So uh, Lopez had this experience where she went to interview Amar camp in his yard and he showed up with what like seven firefighters did that work well background i invited all the candidates i was like hey let's do something fun like let's get out of the boring conference room interview where you know you act all proper and 
I was like, no, 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 I want to get to know who you are. And so I told all of them to think of something fun and nothing really was really that fun. Um, but Amar invited me to um, go eat at his favorite, favorite restaurant. And when I showed up, there was like seven firefighters there and he was like, oh, they're joining us on the interview. And I was like, oh, okay. Hello, guys. <laughs> cool. <laughs> all right. But it was fine. Well, so locally there was also the race with uh, 8080, the assembly district. 80 looks like uh, David Alvarez pulled that out pretty uh, clearly. And now they have to do the primary. Do you think, Andy, that from what you've heard that Georgette Gomez is going to contest the next election? Is she going to put the resources, the energy in to try to win um, now that he has the incumbent spot? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two big things change between now and November. One is that David Alvarez, by virtue of winning, will be listed on the ballot as an assemblyman. He'll have all the other incumbency advantages. It's easier to raise money. Your name ID gets up. You have a ballot title advantage. What could push things towards Georgette in the fall is just increased turnout. Uh, turnout was very low in San Diego County. It's trending towards about 34%, which puts it in the same ballpark as uh, it was in 2010 and 2014, two notoriously low turnout, turnout elections in uh, San Diego. And so that's certainly going to be higher, and turnout doesn't... Uh, when turnout goes down, it doesn't go down symmetrically in every group. So when you have low turnout, you have a higher proportion of your voting population that's going to be white, wealthier, and older. Um, and so typically, if turnout's going to increase between the fall or between June and the fall, um, it will also start to look more like San Diego as a whole by getting browner, younger, and lower income. And then the new district too, right? That's all that covers a lot of this area as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the difference in the districts. Uh, it will be less significant. The demographics and the voter registration between the old district and the new district is not sig significant. I think the bigger difference is turnout between the primary and the general and the incumbency advantage that David would receive. That said, I mean, it wasn't a very close election, frankly. Dave David won by quite a lot. I think there will be a cold, hard calculation made by a lot of donors and supporters, whether it's really worth rerunning this essentially exact election again in six months. Um, and I think it's uh, totally plausible that, that Georgia and her supporters will decide not to. Yeah. Andrea, did you follow that one? Was that something you, you got? Absolutely. That's my district. Yeah. Um, so it was something that was very important for me to, you know, watch, especially after having um, someone like Assembly former assembly member, uh, Lorena Gonzalez, who we all know is a fiery ball of energy that has done a lot for our community. Um, it was really important for me to have a voice in that as both uh, someone that is in politics and someone that uh, lives in the district. And did, you, so did you take a side on that? One? I did. I supported Georgette. Yeah. What do you think happened? Honestly, I think that um, when you look at the divide uh, and you compare it to what happened, what we look at the primary for the full term, you do see that uh, David is gaining a lot of those Republican votes that um, Georgette didn't, you know, and, she, and, um, and so I think it really is going to come down to in the general of Democratic leadership, Democratic donors really 
really going behind her and pushing through. I do think she still has a chance. Um, you know, turnout is a big thing. And um, really defining the race as to what it's going to be and who's going to be for the Democratic Party the champion and how much are they willing to invest in that is always the question. But, um, but I do think she still has a chance to be our, um, our assembly member in the 80th, and, and um, I would just be very happy to, to work with her. Yeah. We did one of these events... Um Four years ago, uh, in Barrow Logan, with Georgette and David, were there talking with us, uh, just like this, and they were friends. And Andy did a story about how their friendship has really dissolved. Uh, I guess is a way to put it. And in that, though, there was a real quote. I don't know if you guys saw this quote in there. It was from Lorena Gonzalez, who uh, was leaving the seat, and she said that, "Yeah, maybe David can get elected." I don't remember exactly how she put it, but maybe he could get elected, but this district won't tolerate a moderate in that role and it won't last long. Do you think that's true? I think that um, the district will be very quick to see a change from you know the way that Lorena has led um, and, and advocated for a district and rightfully so, everybody's, you know, uh, welcome to have their difference of views and policy, um, but former council member Alvarez, um, you know, he will have a, a stark difference from what we've seen with Lorena, and I think that the community will see the difference. Um, whether or not they like it, that's a, you know, that's, that's a first to see, um, and that could also be something that hurts him from now until November, right, as he's leading as the assembly member, if people are going to feel happy about that. Because, I mean, I think we all know, like, people vote whether they feel better today than they did yesterday. Yeah. So there, there was a bigger rift as well. There was, you had, like, Alejandro Sotelo Solis in National City. She supported David. And Labor ended up coming out against her for her re-election in November as mayor of National City. And the, the, um, the other candidate, Jose Rodriguez, he got the support of Labor and supported Georgette. Right. So is there a broader chasm in South Bay and South and South County or, or is it just these things are going to line up differently each time? I will say that um, synergy between the Democratic Party and labor is has not always happened in South County. It's actually just recently that that kind of started happening. Um, and I think a lot of it also has to do with just how engaged both of those organizations are with really the, the groundwork that happens in, in South County, which um, it's always interesting to me when I, you know, I either talk to people who are running for office or people who are looking to see who to support, how disconnected they are with, you know, how, how it works. It's really, you know, in my race, a lot of what I did and, and what I really believe uh, helped, you know, get me across the finish line, I, I talk to our community the way that our community speaks, right? And that's a big difference that, um, we don't see. So there's sometimes a lot of investment in races with no um, backup from people who have lived here, have grown up here. Um, and that's really where this lies, right? And, yeah. and, and the Georgette and the David race, you see that. You see Georgette having a lot of, of that community input. Uh, you know, a lot of her interns, her staff were people who were born raced in, in 8080. Um, and that's always, you, you see the difference in the way that the, the campaign goes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just say, I mean, about David, I would say that if you look back on his political career going back to 2010, he has sort of carved out his own path in basically every election. 
Um, and they've built, you know, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say, a little uh, machine am among him and his, his people. They know how to win elections in this district that they've been running in. In 2010, uh, he did not have the support of the Labor Council. He was running against the brother of an incumbent who had the same last name as the incumbent. Uh, there was a large expectation that many voters would be confused and think they were voting for the same person who had just elected him. David won that election. Uh, four years later, he ran for re-election. He took 70% of the vote, wasn't able to even get a very serious contender, won that election. Uh, one of his top staffers ran to, to replace him in District 8. She didn't get the party support. She didn't get the Labor Council's support. Uh, a lot of David's people ran her campaign and volunteered with her. She won that race. Uh, she's running for re-election right now. She has no serious con uh, challenger. She won overwhelmingly. David didn't just ran in this race without much of a challenge, or without much uh, institutional support. He won in a not very close election. Uh, whatever it is, he has figured out a way without significant institutional backing to repeatedly win elections and talk to voters in yeah. this area. Now, Steve, you mentioned you got involved in politics and got more active in this conversation because of how it started affecting your life. Do you feel like you could, you're going to see any change from who's different mayor or who's the different representative in the state? Or uh, are you worried that that's just going to feel the same? I mean, that, that's the goal. You know, um, for us, when we do the podcast and we were gathering everybody to join the podcast, it was kind of to raise awareness. You know, instead of just looking at six names on a ballot for the primaries, it's like, okay, what do these names represent? Who's backing this? And what we learned with Zanita is that there was a lot of big names backing her. And even that wasn't quite enough to kind of get her more, more traction in the primaries. We learned with, with Amir, Amar rather that it's like he came with a lot of baggage, but somehow he was able to con He connected with me. I mean, he, I was telling Andrea before we even got up here, he, he goes above and beyond the call of duty when he tries to connect with you. you know? and, 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 and I appreciate that. It, it showed me that he was taking a vested interest and what we care about locally, because I look around, most of us, have, we're from Chula Vista and stay one. So, and, and, we, and we hang our hat on that. We're very prideful of being from Chula Vista. So if we're going to embrace somebody to come into Chula Vista, we want to make sure that they represent the same values that we do. So part of bringing them on the podcast was exactly that, kind of like running a fine toothbrush through everybody and, and, and getting an entry basic level of who they are. I connected with Mar because of that. Yeah. I connected with Jill because she's been a city council member. I brought John McCann on. I brought pretty much everybody on to kind of express what they were about. And what I learned now, as Andrew was saying, Andy was saying, is that the, the low turnout, we didn't do enough. I feel like what we have to do more so as leaders in the community is raise awareness on getting involved with these matters, getting people to go out and actually vote. And that's what we were really focusing on and trying to do. And we'll see how it goes out uh, moving past the primaries, but yeah. Yeah. So we got a race coming up. Let's go over a couple more races, and we'll talk about the future of Chula Vista and, and uh, South County stuff. So I had somebody tell me the other day you're not supposed to say South Bay, but South County. Where do you do? You, you said South County earlier. I've been conditioned to say South County now, but I've, you know, I've always said South Bay. I, I don't know when that changed, but uh, you know, it's just... I guess it's easier for people who are outside of, you know, San Diego to understand what South County is when you say it that way, um, yeah. since there's so many other counties that have a South Bay. Yeah, got it. All right, so a couple of races we'll go through. Uh, Andy, which one stands out to you county-wide or city? 
about uh, how it worked out and what's going to go forward. Sheriff's race? Sheriff. Sheriff's race. Everybody surprised race. or feel like it was expected? Anybody? Uh, I mean, I think this, is bit, this was most likely the, 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 the pair that, I, that, that was going to get through. Let's review. So Kelly Martinez, the second in charge at the sheriff's office, uh, she easily made the runoff. It looks like pretty clearly that um, John Hemmerling, the, the leader of the criminal division at the city attorney's office, or former, he stepped down just last week. He was just an abrupt retirement. He retired. <laughs> um, Effective immediately. Not because of anything he had just said that was controversial. He just retired immediately. Most retirements are announced by email, effective at the moment right. that that email no reaches your inbox. The whole cake That's thing is just a it's standard very practice. Very rare yeah. to actually do a cake. Yeah, yeah. More normal <laughs> to abruptly res- retire and tell a... At, it's pretty sus. At 2 p.m. on a Thursday. Yes. So, <laughs> John Hemmerling, do you have any takeaways from that? Is the public safety message something that really shone through? The gun owners, what's going to... Well, you know, frankly, it's a little bit hard to put that race into any sort of coherent narrative in the way that everybody else is in the, around the state is talking about law enforcement right now. I mean, if you, if you read anything in the national press about takeaways from Tuesday, it was uh, a referendum against criminal justice reform in California, as evidenced by recall of, of a district attorney in San Francisco and the mayoral results in Los Angeles. And like... I just, I don't know how to even refute or support that narrative based on what's happening in San Diego. You have a Republican who used to be an independent and before that was a Republican who comes in second. You have a Democrat who would be the first Democrat to represent that office or any countywide office in modern history but who was also just a Republican and is endorsed by the entire law enforcement establishment. Uh, and it's in many ways the, the candidate who is the continuation of Bill Gore's term yeah. and the sort of apparatus that he had built over years and years Literally of inheriting. The only thing different is, is the party. Is the party t- title. I mean, she's, she's a very different person. The point being, like, same mold of, of politician, of, of uh, aspirant for that seat. Yeah. Right. And, it, I, you know, I, I don't think she has, I don't think her campaign could in any real way uh, be described either as promising some sort of commitment to criminal justice reform, nor do I think it would be, willing, like, be, be reasonable to describe it as a sort of law and order, I'm going to return some semblance of order to the streets. I don't think she's been doing that either. So it's a race to represent the entire county of San Diego to be the most powerful law enforcement leader in, in the county that I think basically just doesn't align with the criminal justice reform narrative that we're seeing statewide yeah lopez what do you think were you were you uh refreshing the results on the board of equalization vote all oh, night yeah. what what stood out for you election wise uh, uh races that you were most interested in i would say district two yeah maybe. San we're, Diego still, City we're Council. still watching that one um you know i moderated one of the panels and right. i guess i I should have seen Linda coming through, but I didn't. You didn't because she only raised $12,000 for her campaign. The reason she <laughs> got through is because people who supported Jen Campbell wanted her to get through and not no, no, Lori no. Saldana. Yeah, they wanted Linda to get through. They wanted not Linda Lori. to get through and not Lori Saldana. So they spent a bunch of money 
they sent, they they ran a campaign on her behalf. Yeah. Which I guess is, you know, uh, people often tell, especially like other candidates, you know, who haven't raised a lot of money. And as journalists, sometimes we ignore them because they haven't raised a lot of money. So, you know, this is a good example of (laughs) maybe we should. Yeah, the the general rule is you, you can't, you don't need the most money to win a race, but you need enough, right? And if you don't have enough, then maybe it's, it's worth, but if somebody's willing to give you enough, then it works out. Now, that's like, we call that a bank shot, right? Like, that's, it seems like kind of a risk to promote somebody who might be kind of popular if they do get more attention. But uh, you're in that business. Do you, do you see that a lot more these days? Or? Well, what I'll say is that it's not about who raises the most money. It's about who utilizes their money more effectively and, um, and really works alongside what, the institutions that are supporting or not supporting them. And, you know, um, really quickly, when we were talking about um, AD80, both Georgette and David have always been the underdogs in their races. Um, And that's something that's very important for us to kind of pay attention to. And I think that you're absolutely right. There's a machine that has been built, and it's really something to see, right? Like, it's, it's really impressive. But I think the change right now is that the machine is split. And so that's what we're seeing right now in, in terms of how is that going to change anything, right? Um, and it, it helps to have people um, on your side, but, you know, it's politics, so the only person that's always going to be on your side is yourself. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, it's, it's, it, we've seen it time and time again, especially in South County, where we have people who are outracing folks. I mean, we saw that in the supervisors race in D1 last time around, right? And it's not about... It ends up not being about um, the money. It's about how you're using it, how you're promoting yourself, um, and how, how well you connect with the community. Yeah. Steve, anything from the race that stands out? I ended up being a big Rudy Ramirez fan. I, but when I brought him on, and I, one of my guys here can vouch for me on that, that when we sat down and we talked, he was probably the guy that represented Chula Vista the most. The old school ideals, and he's battling hard to like kind of adapt to the new way of thinking, and it was interesting to kind of see him put forth his race, you know, but I, go, I keep going back to Zanita because it seemed like she had everybody in her corner. Yeah. She had all the heavy hitters in her corner, and I, and I really expected her to push forward a lot more than she actually did, but being at only 600 votes separating Jill and, and Amar, it's, it's going to be an interesting two weeks to see what comes out. Yeah. All right, who do I have out there? I want to participate. If you participate, you can get one of these d- amazing mugs. Uh, yeah, let's go here, huh? What's your name? Uh, Ramon Saldivar. Okay, you're from around here? Yeah, Chula Vista. Ramon, here we go. All right, so I'm going to give you a series of facts. True or false, you got to say. You got it? So you say true or false, okay, based on what I say. All right, number one. Bonita is a part of the city of Chula Vista. It's true. False. It is legally actually an unincorporated area uh, outside the city of Chula. All right, everybody, let's boo. Come on. All right. All right, next up. This is a Amar Campanajar said this about a man he was running against. Is this true or false that he said this? He believes, quote, He believes that politicians should pick their voters. I believe voters should pick their politicians. 
He keeps moving to different districts, hoping that he'll find someone, a group that will want him. Did he really say that? False. He did say that. <laughs> Over two. It Over was two. about Daryl <laughs> All right, next one up. Number three, Steve Garcia here. Not only runs three prunk ales, not only does the Emo Brown podcast, but works at UPS at night. Oh, true. It's true. You are correct. As he told me, he puts the brown in UPS. There we go. <laughs> I like it. All right, next up, I got another quote. What are you at? What is he at now? Two uh, and one, two? One for three. One, thank you. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good batting average. There we go. All right. This one's from, this is a statement. Jill Galvez said this, yes or no, true or false, about the sanitation workers strike. Quote, we're facing a crisis. Until we get to the other side of this dispute, my staff and I have agreed to not create any trash. If I see them throw anything out, I'll throw them out. This is like super comedic, so true. True? False. Ah. Ah. <laughs> that was good though, right? That was good. I did that. That was me. Uh, All right, next up. You ready for this one? Yeah. This is another statement. True or false? Did he say this? Do you remember the Chargers, the football team? Yeah, yeah. I don't like them right now. You don't have any Chargers tattoos. Do you? Not at the okay, moment. Good. All right. Uh, so Jill Galvin, or this is John McCann. John McCann said this, true or false, about the team's search for a new stadium. He said, quote, when they were here. Remember? <laughs> the evidence is clear that Chula Vista not only can be, but will be the home to the next stadium. Did he say that? I want to say he said yes, true. Yeah, he did. <laughs> 2007, they were looking for a spot, and he's like, this is going to be the spot. This is where we're going to get that done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. All right. Yeah, he's got two. Come on. Yeah. Jeez. All right. <laughs> Next up. Chula Vista's Olympic Training Center was closed to the public during the early months of the pandemic. The gorilla from the San Diego Zoo that contracted COVID-19 was briefly placed there to assist in the quarantine to keep the other gorillas safe. No. I want to say true. False. Oh, my ah. God. <laughs> How good were these? Right? Are you making these up? Are you making these I up? All these. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. All right, right, right. yeah. Uh, they're, well, they're pretty good. That, that's it, sir. Let's everybody hear it out for a moment. Great job. All right, thank you very much. All right, we are going to take a quick break, right? Take a quick break, get a drink, uh, go to the bathroom or anything. We'll be back in just a minute. Thanks. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. 
How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Welcome back to the Voice San Diego Podcast. Live from Novo, Brazil. Brewing Company in Chula Vista, thank you all for coming out. Doing all right so far for the first time back, right? Getting our legs back. All right, so let's talk to our guests a little bit more. Andrea, it's your turn. I love right, being I, put on the spot. I warned you. <laughs> At the heart of all of it is that your profession is a political consultant, right? You are involved in campaigns and, and organizing communities, right? Yes, I wouldn't call myself a political consultant uh, as much as I would call myself a community organizer. There you go. So how do you balance that? Like your, your roles as a city council member versus the, the clients, the special interests that you have to wear. And by special interests, I don't mean like something negative. They are interests that are uniquely different from other interests. That's what makes them special. So that's all I mean by that. But they do have uh, the cannabis industry. Others have involvement with your firm. And you have a job to make decisions about those topics. How do you make that line? Um, well, it's simple. There's boundaries, <laughs> um, yeah. obviously. Um, I mean, being impo- involved in politics for more than half of my life now, those connections with folks are, are there whether or not, you know, they are clients of the firm that I work with or not, you know. And so um, for me, for example, when we're looking at races and whatnot, um, I take my endorsement very seriously of a candidate. You know, I, I was just talking actually about how it took me a very long time to get to um, endorsing uh, somebody for mayor and, and whatnot. And it really, for me, if it's anything that's going to compromise my values and my path, I, I just don't touch it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very simple to do that when my job is community organizing and, uh, and communications and um, really talking a lot more with folks about how to engage not only uh, people of color and, and immigrants and uh, Spanish-speaking folks, but young people, right? And, um, and when that is at the helm of what I'm doing... Um, there is no conflict of interest because we should try to get young people, we should get people of color, people from marginalized communities engaged in the process regardless of who they end up voting for. And that's something that I learned very young. Very, very young. I was 14, my very first campaign. What was your very first campaign? I, it was in 2006. I was recruited to be a volunteer for the gubernatorial race for, oh my God, I even forgot his name. He lost, clearly. <laughs> um, and it was a national city. Um, and... Really, the, the guiding principle of, of how I started and how fellow people that were around me started was you need to be able to understand how the process worked because it's still such a foreign concept for our families. For people like my parents that don't speak any Spanish, or sorry, any English, where I, it was such a far you know, reach for them to get to what was happening um, at City Hall. I think, Andrea, you and I were talking about this, how in Riverside you also were detached from what was going on because our parents weren't, right? And so it's changing the dynamic of making sure that we're empowering young people and we're empowering the people that are making the decisions at home so that they can have those conversations with their parents. And for me, that's my bottom line. It's always making sure that folks have the option 
to to engage in their government, but never in a way where it's going to add a burden to the community. You know, um, this happens a lot in my district where we have a lot of hardworking folks, a lot of people who are immigrants who um, have a language barrier that they they repeatedly feel disenfranchised, rightfully so, because they don't have the the tools that they that everybody else has to kind of break that barrier between community and government. And so something that's very important, of course, is making sure that we're not only saying like, well, this is what the community members told us that we want to do, but really engaging the community in a language in a way that, that makes sense to them, right? So if that means partnering with the school district, which we've been doing recently, right, to hold meetings with them in partnership so that there is that level of trust, that's what we have to do, working with nonprofits. Everything works better in partnership. And I think uh, when you go into the difference between, uh, you know, working for a, a firm that does do political work, for me, it's very clear the projects that I will and will not work on. Do you, do you have any clients right now that you anticipate potentially having to recuse yourself if they, when they have business before the city? Not really. I mean, uh, right now, I'm not, I don't have any clients, really. I do a lot of the admin stuff. And, you know, since we did start, you know, since I got elected, that was even a bigger, you know, market. It's always been very difficult for people to try to force me into working on something that I'm not passionate about. And so even now, right, like we're, when we're talking about like the cannabis industry and folks like that, I am very careful to not blend those lines um, because it's, you know, if it doesn't look good, it's not good. Yeah. So one where I think that would be potentially interesting is for uh, the mayor's race, right? So you endorsed Amar, right? And your firm in the last month received about like $50,000 worth of consulting work for an IE that supported Amar. Not Amar's campaign, but a political action committee for him. So, how, you know, certainly there's no client issue that you'd ever have to recuse yourself from there. There wouldn't be a sort of direct conflict of interest that would necessitate that. However, does that get squirrely when you are the, for the first time have to take a hard vote on something that the mayor, if he were to win, wants you and is pushing you really hard on? And that was once essentially a client of yours? Absolutely not. Because it becomes an issue when you decide that you are willing to compromise your vision, your morals for money. And uh, anyone that you know, is around me knows that that's just not how that works for me. I, I've been very clear even with Amar about that, right? And uh, you know, even though um, the firm that I work with worked on um, his IE, I was not convinced of him being our next mayor until quite recently. Um, and I was not involved with that um, specifically to avoid these kinds of situations. Yeah. Well, what do you think is going to happen then? I mean, how does this race proceed uh, going forward? Like, what are, what are going to be the deciding factors? We have more people voting. We're going to have uh, a polarized situation where there's two candidates against each other, either Jill Galvez and, and John McCann or Mark Campanajar and John McCann. If you're doing community organizing, you're looking, what are people worried about that's going to influence that race? Right. And, and actually, that's exactly why I ended up deciding to support Amar. It's because he does bring forward a lot of the thoughts and the, and the, and the views that a lot of our you know, younger, more, more diverse voter block in Chula Vista has. And um, people always underestimate the power of 
community organizing, of young people voting, of you know, marginalized communities voting. And when you have somebody that is able to speak to that, who has you know, seen how his identity has affected him in different ways, in different areas, I think it's very powerful when we're looking at a community that has not been has not felt seen by their, you know, by a mayor. And, and I'm not talking negatively about any other mayor, but it's just moving forward. What are you going to see? And I think it's going to be a, a race of, do we like what's happening today in Chula Vista and we want to keep that going? Or do we want to take a chance on a wild card that may bring the progress to Chula Vista that you want? Yeah. And so it's very much about having those tough conversations. Yeah. I got to say, when I was writing my story and I was talking to residents and Steve was one of them, uh, we, you know, I heard a lot about like what people want for their city, where they see their city going and how frustrated they felt about where it's at today, whether it was, you know, because of de current decisions or previous decisions, but they just didn't feel like their city's potential w was getting there. Right. And, and th like Steve said, there's so much um, pride in this city. Like I interviewed so many people, Steve included, who have Chula Vista tattoos. <laughs> and I just thought it was so cool. Um, but Steve, you know, as we were talking about the different candidates, he was like, we need someone with with big ideas, someone who's going to bring something different for our city. And the more we talked about it, he was like, the more it kind of sounds like Amar because, you know, he's like presenting all these big ideas and, you know, these things that he can do from, from past relationships and just connections that he has. So, um, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, what do you think is going to fuel the, the, the race going forward? I mean, the thing is, I feel we're in a, a little bit of a power struggle in Chula Vista. It's the second largest city in the county of San Diego. We've been a sleeping giant for a while. The old guard is, is really battling to kind of keep what's been here in Chula Vista for a while, Amar represents something that speaks to myself and people who look like me. So I feel that that's a big momentum push in his corner. He does bring these things to the table. I want to move forward with the university. I remember being in high school and university talk was, was an issue and a topic. And that was 25 years ago, you know? I remember a, a stadium, as we were mentioning, in 2007, and John McCann brought it to the Chargers' attention that we we're willing and, and capable of maintaining a, an athletic club here in, in Chula Vista. I don't want somebody to just keep rehashing these topics and talking about it. I want somebody to grab the reins and say, okay, we're going to do these things, you know, whether it's the Bayfront, which is breaking ground, whether it's the university, where, all of these things. We have the opportunity right now with everything that Mayor Salas has kind of put on the forefront. I mean, selfishly, with the alcohol industry specifically, you know? I mean, there was no breweries, there was minimal presence of alcohol, like in a, a, a nightlife on the west side of Chula Vista. Chula Vista. West Chula Vista has been desolate, tumbleweeds. When we f first moved in here to bring in the brewery in 2015, there was absolutely nothing. It was a dollar a square foot when we got that warehouse. If you go around and walk down Third Avenue right now, you're looking at close to $3 a square foot per, per uh, vacancy, if you're lucky enough to find a vacant location down there. So there's definitely a lot of shine and a lot of spotlight on what we're doing. And I feel that is beneficial to whoever's going to take over if they're willing to do the new things that are required and what we want. How many employees do you have? Uh, between the bar and the brewery, I, I have about 20 employees. So you, you have all that. You've, you're, you're bottling and, and canning some new um, product. Yes. And you're working at UPS at night. What, what are you, give me a, a take on what you're trying to do to make ends meet right now and you know, make sure your employees are taken care of, make sure you're, you're, you're making enough money to keep going. 
how is it working and what is the government, what is this government's role in that? I'm married. I have three kids. I work at UPS specifically for the insurance and the benefits to take care of my kids. I get up, I go there around three in the morning, I go and I go to our bar and I take care of everything that's needed at the bar, finish there, hightail it over to the brewery, make sure everything's taken care of. All of those things are needed to make all the dots get connected and make it happen. I'm not alone with that, with that uh, day-to-day uh, ratio or, or transactions. Everybody I know does that same thing. My best friends, our friends, people in our, in our social club, people who are coming to the brewery. So I'm just pretty much, I'm a number on a list, man. So that's all that's needed. We were fortunate enough at the brewery that we not only survived, but we were able to thrive. Um, we're Chula Vista. A lot, of, a lot of the businesses that I know, a lot of the friends that I know on 3rd Avenue are businesses that are run and operated by Chula Vista residents. I feel like that played a big role in helping a lot of the businesses on 3rd Avenue not only survive, but thrive throughout the pandemic. You had to be savvy. I mean, there are, there's definitely uh, options that the government presented to us. And on our team, my mom specifically, she was able to go through every grant that was made available with the fine tooth comb and just, she was able to make it happen. And that's how you make it happen, man. We, we really tapped in. We're, we're, we're family-based in everything we do. At the core of anything that I do, anything that the people in my crew do, we're, we're driven by, by our family and, and what it is to not only make them happy and make them appreciate what we do, but to help them sustain. Yeah. That's a lot of responsibility, man. That's a lot of show. That's the only reason I get up early to go to UPS or go to the bar or go to the brewery or do a podcast because I feel like all of those things in the end go into the pot of one, making Chula Vista a, a better place. You know, a lot of people, a lot of business is done on Third Avenue and it's weird because uh, I, all I see is city government officials at the brewery or police officials at the brewery or the fire department at the brewery. And they're just there huddled up talking. And, you know, that's the only reason I really got involved with local city government is just, just by a victim of circumstance of being there and, and having our, our storefront on 3rd Avenue. And it's become that spot now. Are you his rep? I'm not. Uh. It, currently, it's uh, council member Jill Gavis. Yeah. Got it. But got I will it. say that I actually, your spot is a former campaign office I worked out of. Once upon oh. a time. Yeah. yeah. So it's been a it lot was of always meant to be some political thing coming out of that. Yeah. All right, I need two volunteers now for this next game. Uh, what's your name? Lydia. Lydia, what's your name? Zach. Zach. So we got Zach and Lydia. All right, we're trying out a new game here, all right? So bear with us. Here are, here are the rules of the game. Are you guys paying attention? Are you prepared? Maybe. All right. This is a bidding sure. game. This is a bidding game. All right, I will, we have a list of, of items here, okay? The task is to see who can come up with the most corporate sponsor names that the Chula Vista Amphitheater has had over the years. Okay? You will take turns bidding on how many of those names you can recall. At any point after a bid, you can challenge the other person to answer that many. If that person does it, they will win. If not, you will win. We will start, Zach, the bidding with you. How many names for the Chula Vista Amphitheater can you come up with? Here, I will tell you this. I will tell you this. There are, there are five names. I can think of two off the top of my head. There's two. All right, your bid is two. Would you like to challenge Zach to answer two, or do you think you can do three? I can do three. Woohoo! Let's go! Zach. Can you do four? I struggle with two, man. I don't know. 
Sure. <laughs> All right. What I need from you is to hear three names that the Chula Vista Amphitheater has had. If Coors. you do it, you will win. Coors. Coors Amphitheater is correct. Sleep Train. Sleep Train Amphitheater is correct. And, oh my God, now I'm doubting myself. Um, <laughs> I really want to say, like, the San Diego Credit Union. Ooh. Oh, no. <laughs> is that your final answer? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Zach is the winner. Aww. Really? <laughs> he doesn't even have to do it. He doesn't even have to do it. Okay. Yeah. Well, but I could challenge him. What would you like to challenge him on? To say the two he does. Yeah. All right. Can you, okay. let's see. Most of my, I remember growing up, it was Coors and then yeah. Sleep Train the last like 10 years or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. But. We don't, uh, we don't have its current name right now. No one has said. Oh. Someone said cricket. Is it cricket? It is not cricket. cricket. Wireless? No. Well, it was. It was. Cricket counts. Is it a, that's, is it that's a, three. Is it a telecoms company? No. <sighs> Aquatica. The answers, the answers are it is currently named the North Island Credit Union ah, Amphitheater. I said it wrong. The NICU Amphitheater, especially if you're a fish fan. The Coors Amphitheater, the Cricket Wireless Amphitheater, the Sleep Tran Amphitheater. And my personal favorite, the Mattress Firm Amphitheater. Yeah. <laughs> all right. yeah, I didn't know that one. All right, do we, do we want to do another bidding game? You guys want to do another bidding game? Yeah. All right, all right, all right. All right. This is a longer list. Are you guys both from Chula Vista? Yeah. No. Yes? Yeah. Well, no? I'm no. technically San Isidro, but I went to school in Chula Vista. Okay. Transit riders? Are you guys transit riders? We'll allow it. Sometimes. All right. Sometimes. The same rules, but the list now, your challenge, is to name as many stops on the blue line trolley line. How many stops on the blue line trolley line can you name? <laughs> oh, I, I t important, important caveat, south of downtown. South of downtown, okay? Uh, for the purposes of this exercise, the last downtown stop is the 12th and Imperial Transit Station. Okay? There are 12. There are 12 Blue Line stations south of downtown San Diego. You get to open the bidding this time. I can only name five. All right. All right I just, I, that is really high. I want, I, wanna, I, wa I wanna play a little game theory here. Start low. Start low. <laughs> Get up. You're, you're starting the poker hand with all of your money in the center. You've already revealed that you can't go to six. Go ahead. Uh, true. <laughs> okay, so... Can you do six? Yes. You can do six. Yeah. Would you like him to try? Yes. Okay. All right. Barrio Logan, you have. That's one. Go ahead. Harborside. Bingo. Pacific Fleet. Nailed it. No, wait. Okay. Does it have to go in order or no? You, don't, you do okay, not cool. have to go in order. But you are going in order <laughs> right I, okay. now, and I'm impressed uh, by that. Yes. Uh-oh, uh, <laughs> H, H Street? Yes. Okay. Uh, That's four. That's four. Uh, okay, not, it's not in order anymore. There's Bayer Boulevard, San Ysidro. Five, six. Six. You're at six, okay, my man. Cool. You've done it. Yay. Incredible. Well done. Well done. Let her try. Let's let her try to get seven. 
Can you can you can you get us? Uh, well, I was gonna say San Isidro, Buyer, Iris, Palm, Palomar, Eighth Street. It's beginning at the at beginning go, at the border. Go. I like that. Eh? And then and then eh? now he said uh, Barrio. And we're, we're, it's clearly you guys are napping in the middle of the trip here. <laughs> like, <laughs> Whether coming from north or south, you yeah. doze off about 40 minutes in. Yeah. But I think that's about <laughs> it. One more, yeah. come on, one more. You got this. He said what? fleet? He said fleet. I'm like, uh... All right, the ones we are missing are 24th Street and E Street. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. East Street. All right, well done, well done, well done. Right, let's, let's get him prizes yeah. for the both of you. <laughs> that. That's awesome. All right, let's hear it again for our volunteers. Thank you. Okay, well now I, I just want to uh, wrap up and and make sure everybody has a chance to say anything on their mind about the media these days, Chula Vista, South Bay, uh, politics, what's going on, what we're worried about, what we're thinking about. Um, you heard my take. We got to take care of the eucalyptus. They're a disaster. They're threatening life. Um, Steve, what's on your mind? Selfishly, I'm on the west side of Chilvis. So I feel like we do need uh, some sort of way to bridge the gap. I have three little kids, and they're all in the Chilvis Elementary School District. And I feel like maybe there's some certain discrepancies between the west side of Chilvis as it relates to school districts and the east side of Chilvis. So. My goal is to, you know, poke the, the, the new mayor in the ribs and be like, hey, what can we do to financially bridge the gap? We, we have a foundation that, that we have for Emo Brown, and that's one of the, one of the main focal points that we, we truly dedicate a lot of time, time and energy on is, is helping the West Side schools. I mean, obviously, the budget, the way it works is everybody has allocated the same amount of funds. And as you were mentioning before when you were on the podcast, it's all a matter of uh, parent involvement, PTA. Uh, so we, we really need to focus on something to help uh, the, our West Side schools get better traction. We had, to help, we had to step up and help out some kids from John Montgomery Elementary to go to sixth grade camp. That shouldn't be the issue. So when kids are growing up in Tula Vista on the West Side, is it assumed that, is there pressure on parents to get them out not, I mean, our kids are young. I'm, I'm very new in this game. This, right. is, this is a new chapter. How old are your kids? I'm a nine, seven, and four, nine, eight, and four. So yeah. I have an incoming fourth grade, incoming, uh, incoming fifth, incoming third, incoming kindergartner. So we're playing, paying close attention to the point where my wife is going to be looking to be a noon duty officer, just kind of keeping an eye on the situation. So I, I never thought that was going to be my role. You know, I never thought that was going to be my role in life where it's, Focusing on the Chula Vista Elementary School So you don't feel district. any pressure right now to, to take your kids somewhere else? No. No. Do Although, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe, but Do you I... you agree? <laughs> yeah, okay. Now, you nod your head when, when, he, when he pointed that, when I asked you about the pressure to move kids from the west to the east. There's pressure like that throughout the region, right? There's all kinds of assumptions, and some of them are based in, in reality of experience and discrepancies. What were you nodding your head about? Um, I was one of those students. When I was in high school, we didn't have as much expansion in the East. But um, when I, you know, I went to um, Otay Elementary, that's where I graduated from sixth grade. Um, and at the time, my, my teacher had a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with my mom and, and really said, 
do not send her to Castle Park. At the time, I was just upset because I was not going to be with my friends, right? And, and instead, um, they, they told my mom, if you want her to have a good future, you have to send her to Hilltop. And so that's where I ended up going. And it's not until, like, obviously I grew up that I really understood why that was the case, right? And you talk about parent involvement. And um, it's very frustrating for me to see that people get more resources when they have the privilege to be involved. And if we're not able to really do for more for the community without them having to stop thinking about their two, three jobs, um, like you mentioned, right? Uh, having to make sure that your kids are doing homework or that they have something to eat or that you can pay the rent. Like those are the real issues in our community. And the reason why our schools that um, are in the West Side and in my district, um, and, and not just schools, every agency of government um, feels underserved and, and rightfully so because they are, is because the system that we are living in has been created for the people that have the privilege to speak up. I mean, I could, I can never imagine my parents going to a council meeting and saying, this is what we need, or to a school board meeting and saying, this isn't right, because I'll, I'm going to say something that uh, my brother once told me, which was, you know, my, my dad's an attorney, was an attorney in Mexico. And, you know, I would go with him to, to see, you know, what in his office and when he was litigating and all that stuff. And he was the man like he was he was it. Right. Everybody knew to respect him. But the moment he would walk into a parent teacher conference, he was an immigrant. And he was somebody that was n not going to be aggressive because he didn't understand the system that I was in the system that was built. Until we're able to really build synergy between our communities, what our community is and not what we believe it should be because of the framework that's been established, we're always gonna be at a disadvantage. And that's something that, to me, it's something that I hold very strong and dear to my heart because it's, it was my reality. But it wasn't just me, right? I'm not a unique case, so many people in, in Chula Vista really experience that of just, you know, just keep, keep going forward and see how it goes. You know, uh, my parents didn't understand, you know, how housing worked and how like paying taxes on certain things worked. And for like a thousand dollars, they lost the very first only home that they bought. And that really shaped the way that our family was from the day that I was born until now, you know, we're still all renters. We still, because of one mistake that they made because they were not aware of the system that was in place, of the resources that were in place. And um, that's something that for me is the most important thing is for us to really connect people with the resources that are available while not making it on them if they don't get it. And I think that happens a lot. Yeah. Lopez, you were nodding your head. What resonated with you with what she was saying? Oh, we were, we were having a conversation earlier about our, our parents and their involvement. And I was telling her, I was like, I lived in Riverside and I just never thought about like who my council member was or anything. Like my mom was on survival mode working as a waitress, two jobs. Like that's, that's you know, she barely spoke English. Like it's not something that's on the top of our minds when, yeah. when we're growing up that way. Yeah. Well, I think uh, Voice San Diego has been set up. We have two roles. Uh, one is to do investigative journalism, to find things out that people don't want us to find out. And the second is to explain things, to explain the news as best we can, uh, because we, do, we similarly believe that there's a, 
a co that complexity that's built into all these things, like how bond financing works and how taxes work and how land use works and what the port is and what, why Sweetwater is a different school district than Chula Vista Education District or, or Elementary School District. Like why all these things are the way they are, explaining all that is just such a grueling daytime daily job. And somebody has to do it because that complexity is a form of elitism that keeps people out of the process. And so that's part of our role is to try to make sure that gets out. And so thank you all for coming and supporting Voice San Diego. Uh, thank you to our guests. He, he puts the brown in UPS. We got Steve Garcia. <clears throat> She's now representing her home on city council, Andrea Cardenas. Andy. <laughs> and Lopez. Thank you all for coming out tonight. It was great to be here. here.